individual brain. Okay, they were listening to TikTok. Says, what is it? <laughs> Which they keep chanting me off, so. Mandy May, him. You're really good at this. I don't know, I just... Yeah, you know me. I don't think I can sing this right now. It's too hard. Thank you, Thank you, Victoria. Oh my God, your name is the Viking Witch. Amazing. I love it. I love it. 
Christian answers. Is there a still god? There. Is there not a god who created a blood dripping man? Prophet just very, very pro. Uh, he was very Dean pro life. Phillips. He was um, very anti trans. Um, there's all this stuff that you guys think that he's going to help with, but he's not. He's a Catholic guy. He's oh, sitting there good. being like, oh, I didn't do it. Yeah, but we can put our, I mean, I have, I have religion. I was, I'm probably butchering. The gay community. Bye and welcome up. Skeptics yeah, hey, for man, natural how's it going? Good, how are Coco you? Medic. Um, I'm a bit sick, so my voice is a little wonked, but. That's all right. I think I, I, I can hear you just fine. I'm assuming everyone else can as well. All right. I hope so. Um. Because my voice is a bit funky, so I'm not gonna well take too too Come long. On. But uh, <laughs> I, uh, I I'm also an atheist. I don't really believe in ghosts or the supernatural or anything like that. But I wanted to just share a couple weird things that happened in my childhood yeah. that uh, I I literally just can't explain. <laughs> cool. Let's hear it. Um. So. In uh, the house that I grew up in, um, with my grandparents, adopted by my grandparents, so my mom and dad, um, we had um, been there ever since I was a kid. And we had, you know, weird stuff happen all the time. Things would float, um, you know, fly off of shelves. And well, I don't mean fall gently i mean fly out across the room violently sometimes interesting um, you saw things you did you personally see that see things fly yeah. across the room wow okay um but probably the the weirdest thing um well we all we ended up finding out that the person who owned the house before us um now, this is in Pensacola, Florida. The house was built in like the 40s. So obviously not exactly a hotbed of, uh, of racial um, uh, tolerance at the time. Sure. But he was a evidently a fairly successful black man who owned the house, was killed in a home invasion, mm-hmm. and uh, was locked into one of the hall closets through the door. Uh, there was always a stain up in the top corner of that closet that no matter how many times we painted over it, it always came back. So that's weird. Yeah. That could easily be a water stain. You know, it is Florida. Humidity's a bitch. Yeah. <laughs> sure. 
weirdest experience for me was I was I, I want to say 13 or 14 I think um, my cousin who was living with us would have been probably seven or eight you know very very elementary school oh uh, she had long hair and so every night my mother would braid her hair so that it, she would have a much easier time brushing it in the morning a little tip if you have a <laughs> yeah flirty and you know, like little tip if you have a little right that down if you have a tip with lo- a kid with long hair, braid it at night, and it'll be so much easier to brush in the morning. All right, learn to braid. Uh, now, I'm 33. I'm also an 80s baby, like uh, Sky was. You know, big ups to 80s babies. Um, uh, I'm 43, and to this day, I still can't braid hair. <laughs> oh, uh I've never had I can to. braid like oh thanks for the hat thank you I can braid like strings or rope but I've never been able to pull it off with hair um, yeah. I try to do it with my beard and it ends up looking awful but oh man I can barely grow facial hair I'd love to have a braided beard <laughs> when my girlfriend when my fiance would braid my beard it, it, it did look great but um, in any case so she braided my my cousin's hair like always before bed i get woken up the next morning mom is going ballistic on me yelling at me why would i do you know why would i do that i ruined her hair all this other stuff i'm 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 waking up you know i'm still brushing the sleep out of my eyes like what is going on what did i do something about her hair there was a whole braid, like a whole third of it, I, I guess is what it would be, that was missing from the center of her braid. Whoa. So, like, uh, literally a section of it. Now, obviously, my mom wouldn't have been the one to do it. My dad wouldn't have done it. My cousin couldn't have done it. And I was mentally incapable of doing it. So when you say it was missing, are you talking about like it was braided weird? Was a no, piece of hair no. cut out? Or, yes. Yeah. Literally wow. the That's what I pictured when you said that. So. It's cut out and the two side strands were still there. The scissors were found in the top of her closet, which she couldn't reach even with a steps like even with a, a chair. She didn't have one in her room. And if she had, had gotten one out of the kitchen or something, she wouldn't have been able to reach it. Um, the scissors were found up there. We never found the hair. Really? Never found the hair. <laughs> so literally like a third of her hair was halfway off. And we had to attribute it to the ghost because the ghost did have a tendency to, I mean, mind you, I am using the biggest finger quotes I can <laughs> I can, I can see if I had more arms or borrow from Mortal Kombat, I would be using my entire arms. But yeah, so the ghost had a tendency to 
if she was acting like a brat the day that day and she was a real demon that that day that that happened so man you know to this day we can, none of us can explain what happened that night and that's just weird that it's weird yeah i mean you know even even the natural explanations for that like more than likely somebody's lying probably cut or cut her hair and put the scissors up there and somebody's lying about it more than likely right but even so that's weird like who does that because the hair was still braided and she found out that it was missing when she unbur you know took tried to to brush it and that's when she you know figured oh he did it you know because me and her we didn't you know she was she's like my sister basically we were raised together for so long mm -hmm. Like siblings, we will, you know, screw with each other. So, if it was something I could have done, absolutely would have if I'd have thought about it. Was it just the two of you? Was there another sibling? Yeah, just the two of us. Just the two of you. Well, the four of us, I guess. Mom, Dad, yeah. my cousin, and okay. yeah. Wow, that's interesting. And I mean, you know, like I said, there was other things too. Like I said, um. Uh, picture wall um, uh, off of the actual hook um, of one of my cousins at a um, can't remember if it was Christmas or Thanksgiving dinner flew off the hook on the wall and landed face down on the on the table while everybody was preparing to eat and it was one of my cousins. Sorry, I was yeah. reading a comment. I shouldn't be doing that. The picture yeah, flew off the wall. Yeah, a picture flew landed on the table. We were getting ready to eat, and it was a, one of a, one of my cousins. I had a huge family. Mm -hmm. um, my grandmother was like the of six. She had eight. Most of her eight had three. I was the oldest boy in my generation. The first boy in my generation. And I had seven older female cousins before me. Oh, wow. Yeah, so it was one of them. I can't remember exactly which one. But she called us like 20 minutes later saying she got into an accident and couldn't make the, the dinner. That's hmm. weird. You know, I can't explain it. Like I said, I still don't believe in ghosts or anything. I don't believe in ghosts, spirits, angels, you know, any of that stuff. Sure. But, I mean, yeah. Shit. Yeah. Uh, see, and I don't either, but I've never had anything, you know, that inexplicable happen. I've had, you know, a couple things as a kid that, you know, I explained now. Right. It's like sleep paralysis. Um, um, that's probably the weirdest thing that I've had happen to me. Nothing nothing that you know anything close to what you're talking about <clears throat> and honestly when i when it comes to uh, people seeing yeah, my mother had there was eight of us look what Jerry called you. i want to go this to doctor scam is being pitched as choice for poor and working class kids kids can't get the voucher for a whole host of reasons that we've already touched on because they're denied admission because there aren't enough private school seats because they can't cover the difference between the voucher and the tuition cost 
for because the private school doesn't provide transportation for special education services. In other states that have tried these scams, this has become a coupon for wealthy families to save on their private school bills. New Hampshire's voucher program had similar prioritization as this bill. Do you know what percent of... When you talk about spirituality, we manifest... Yeah, we manifest our stories. All these are manifestations of the story of her rule coming before your face. Everyone, this is your favorite president, Donald J. Trump, with some very exciting news. My last two Trump digital trading card collections sold out in just hours. And now I'm back with my latest series called the Mugshot Edition. I wonder where that came from, the Mugshot Edition. 47 all-new stunning cards, and here is the best part. I'm doing two important things for my Trump collectors. For the first time, we're creating a real physical Trump card. Purchase 47 digital cards and we'll mail you a beautiful trading card. It is an authentic piece of the suit I wore when I took that now famous mugshot. And it was a great suit. Believe me, a really good suit. It's all cut up and you're going to get a piece of it. Just like that one. some of them. A true collector's item. This is something to give to your family, to your kids. Hi there, I'm Tristan for Senate Judge Preds. And she read, says zero, zero I wanted to likes. talk about the miraculous recovery of this little girl. She's almost getting back to normal immediately. On August 30, my home was raided by local law enforcement. So now I'm running for sheriff, so this don't happen to you. Please sign my petition so I can get on the ballot and make sure that let's bring in the ACLU to rewrite all the policies that they have. So no other innocent Pima residents will be stripped of all their civil and constitutional rights like I was, like we were. Okay, I'm going to send that to uh, Women's March based in Nason. Tucson Sentinel, Miami Herald, Arizona Coalition for Change. John Fetterman yesterday, today. Opinion, ABC News, ABC News Studios, ACLU, Michigan, Priscilla Presley, POTUS, Arizona, Arizona Dem Party. Yeah. Uh-uh. Well. Okay, let's go to see what Mice Touch is up to. Oh no, let's continue watching TikTok. A veteran and me, and they took our service dogs. Sign below, please. Thanks and have a blessed day. Never in my life have I seen a country burn through as much goodwill as Israel has in the two months after October 7th. In the immediate aftermath of the October 7th massacre, there was so much international goodwill directed towards Israel, towards Israeli civilians, and even towards the Israeli government. Even many fierce critics of Israel opened up their hearts and expressed sympathy for the people butchered on October 7th. And if Israel had decided to engage in a proportional response, perhaps something like a Zero Dark Thirty-style raid on some high-level Hamas operatives in Qatar or in Gaza, 
their actions would have been met with acclaim by the international community. The New York Times would have gone on and on about how this is more evidence that Israel is the world's most moral army, that they have a different value system than their savage Arab neighbors, and that they truly are the bulwark of democracy in Charles the region. McBride. The thing is, none of those things are true about Israel, and I think that's exactly what Hamas is counting on. You see, they understood that in the immediate aftermath of October 7th, Israel would engage in a carpet bombing of Gaza. Why? Because they cannot help themselves. Mm. And to understand why they cannot help themselves, you have to understand the 75-year history of the colonization and the ethnic cleansing of Palestine. I have been revisiting this myself by going back through Ilan Pape's book, The Ethnic Cleansing of Palestine, in which he describes the early methods that the Israelis used to displace the Palestinian population back in the 1930s and 40s. These included building settlements on top of hills above Palestinian villages and rolling down barrels full of explosives and large steel balls, as well as oil barrels that would explode and ignite and then when the Palestinians would rush out of their houses to put out the flames, they would shoot them with sniper fire. The book goes in depth to describe exactly how Israel planned to coordinate the ethnic cleansing of Palestine, which is remembered in the official Israeli histories in a very different way. There is a stunning familiarity to the methods that Israel employed back in the 1930s and 40s to the ones they're employing now in Gaza and in the West Bank. See, a lot of liberal Zionists would like to tell you that there is a distinction between the previous good Israel and the current bad Israel, which is characterized by the reign of Netanyahu, who was a fascist, and the vicious settlements in the West Bank. But the reality is that there is a direct through line to what was going on in the 1930s and the 1940s and the methods used to displace the Palestinians and what is going on today to finalize and complete the ethnic cleansing of Palestine. These are very uncomfortable topics for a lot of Zionists, both Jewish and non-Jewish alike. Part of the reason for this is that the official Israeli histories paint a very different picture of the founding of Israel, and you would only know otherwise if you had decided to question the official narrative and read actual historical sources about what happened during the Nakba in 1948. As my Arab-Israeli friend Dahab likes to say, if you've read a single book about the history of Palestine, you've probably read more about it than most Israelis. 75 years of lobbying Western governments and championing a single narrative about the history of Israel and why it is so important has completely backfired, and Israel is completely losing control of the narrative, which is why they're becoming increasingly violent, uh, both in Lebanon, in Gaza, and in the West Bank. This is a very common action on the part of colonial regimes who are reaching the point of internal implosion. As they lose sympathy and lose control of the narrative and the population, they take the mask off and double down on the violence. It is a horrific thing to watch, but it might also be the undoing of the conditions that allowed for this to happen in the first place. This is no longer an Arab issue. This is no longer a Middle Eastern issue. What Israel decided to do to Palestine after October 7th has turned this into an international human rights issue that's not going away anytime soon. And it's our job to make sure it doesn't. Never in my life have I seen a country burn through as much goodwill my hand and I feel like they go away. The flag went quickly and the seller told me that they were out of Welcome to my dear home hacks. In today's episodes, I'm going to show you our... AIPAC, A-I-P-A-C, is one of the most powerful lobbying groups in Washington, D.C. Uh, what does AIPAC stand for? It is an acronym. It stands for the American Israel Public Affairs Committee. And 
there have been over the last five weeks there have been a few members of Congress who have spoken out pretty vocally in support of the Palestinian people, including the only Palestinian American in the United States House of Representatives, Rashida Tlaib. Uh, they individually and as a group have been painted by APAC and the Anti-Defamation League uh, as being anti-Semitic, largely for speaking out in support of Palestinian civilians inside the Gaza Strip. Well, now, yesterday they announced, APAC announced that they were going to spend $100 million to primary four members of Congress, all of them women, all of them women of color. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, Ilhan Omar, a Muslim member of Congress, Rashida Tlaib, the only Palestinian-American in Congress, and Ayanna Presley. Today, they expanded that group to seven. Now they're including Cori Bush, Summer Lee, and Jamal Bowman. All three of them black. Seven members of Congress, APAC is going to spend a hundred million dollars to get rid of them for speaking out in support of Palestinian civilians inside the Gaza Strip and speaking out in favor of a ceasefire. Six of the seven are women, all of them are people of color, one of them is Muslim, one of them is the only Palestinian American in Congress today. So APAC, just like the ADL, just like the Israeli government, can't get out of their own fucking way. They're going to overreact. I mean, they're going to spend a hundred million dollars to get rid of seven members of Congress, six of whom are women, all seven of them are people of color, one Muslim, one Palestinian-American, because they had the audacity, the audacity, the dogs are home, to speak out in support of Palestinian civilians inside the Gaza Strip, who are being, guys, guys, Tanner, being slaughtered by Israel by the thousands these people said that's maybe we shouldn't do that that's wrong and maybe our government and our president shouldn't support the wholesale slaughter of women and children and now APAC is going to spend a hundred million dollars to get rid of seven minority members of Congress what if there was an organization that spent a hundred million dollars to get rid of seven Jewish members of Congress? What would we all say about that organization? A 
AIPAC, A-I-P-A-C, is one of the most powerful lobbying groups in Washington, D.C. Uh, what does AIPAC stand for? It is an acronym. It stands for the American-Israel Public Affairs Committee. And there have been, over the last five weeks... Well, hello, Leslie Fisher-Rice. You have opinions. You have big opinions about things you know nothing about. You are an idiot, and I don't care what anybody says because you don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> hmm. I have no idea what you're referring to. I try not to talk about things that I haven't educated myself about. You know, just because you're... the Israelis are running out of the country. Did you hear about the Israelis who are immigrating from the land of Israel, occupied Palestine? Let me tell you. Channel 12, the Hebrew channel, posted this news. As of the genocide in Gaza started and the attacks on Tel Aviv also started from the age group, a lot of Israelis applied for immigration to other countries. Yesterday, some numbers were posted, and again, that was on Channel 12, the Hebrew channel. 500,000 Israelis left Israel, immigrating out of the country with no return back. And 60,000 left during the holidays as for a vacation, but they did not return. A huge number applied to emigrate to Portugal. I don't know why especially Portugal, but they just want to emigrate outside the country. And from the first days of this genocide, like the first 10 days, 250,000 Israelis left the country. And even before this attack started, before the genocide in Gaza started, before the 7th of October, there was a movement in Israel by 40% of the population calling for an immigration out of the country because of different reasons. Because they are against the government, because they don't feel safe in the government, because they are against how Netanyahu is leading the country. And this news only proves one thing, that the owners of the land never leave. But if you are not from this land, I don't blame them for leaving, because they are not from there. Most of them came from Europe, came from the US, came from different countries in the Middle East. So they are already used to immigration. They are already used to moving around. If I don't feel safe here, why would I stay? It's not my home. On the other side, the Palestinians cannot leave. Even if they want to leave for a better future, for a better lifestyle, they cannot. Do you know how hard it is to get out of Gaza? Do you know that you need to apply for a permit from the Israeli government? And it either gives it to you or it denies it. And even if it gives it to you, they cannot plan ahead. This is how it goes. They apply for the permit and they wait. And then one day, the Israeli government calls them. Now you can go to the border and you have a permit. So they just pack last minute and go. So they can't plan anything ahead because they are occupied, because they are living in a prison. The city is beautiful, yes, but it is a prison. They are surrounded by the Israeli government. And those are the people who make their decisions, who decide their future. And this is the meaning of colonization and oppression.
Israelis are running. Do you want to confuse all your bandmates and probably get yourself kicked off of a gig? Then play this group. Fires on the top, shove the feet on the bottom. If that makes no sense, don't worry. So quintuplets are fives, so five notes squeezed into the space of one beat. One, two, three, four, five, one, two, three, four, five, one, two, three, four, five, one, two, three, four, five. Say university while you're playing them instead of trying to count to five, especially when you get to higher speeds. University, 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 university. So that's what's going on on top, but the sticking is different. So you go right, left, left, right, right, one group of five, left, right, right, left, left. That first letter, the second group of five, accent that real big because that's where your backbeat is. Get that down so you don't even have to think about it and don't try and skimp out on the metronome. play a shuffle foot pan underneath. One, a two, a three, a four, and. But what will help you lock this in is the fact that you've got that back beat, the one, two, three, four, going on in the hands underneath the fives. So you can lock those in first. Five. And there you have it. A great way to upset other musicians. Do you want to confuse all your bandmates and probably get yourself kicked off of a gig? Then play this group. Five on the top, shuffle feet. And when it comes to this video, Madeline turned him every which way but loose. Let's see. I made a video talking about how, as an American, uh, if I want to be on the right side of history, 99% of the time, the easiest way to do this is just to not agree with anything the United States government is telling me. If the United States tells me a country's my enemy, it's probably not. If the United States tells me somebody's my ally, they're probably up to no good. This is the simplest shortcut to having a pretty good opinion about foreign policy that you, as an American, can take if you don't have time to research things. Fortunately, mm -hmm. I do have time to research things. And that is why, when this person said, if you don't like it here you should try going to north korea iran or afghanistan i had to laugh these are hilarious examples of other countries to choose and i will explain why first of all north korea i as an american am not allowed to visit uh i think i spent a lot of my childhood assuming this was because north korea didn't want people going there and seeing what was going on actually people from other countries can and do visit north korea but you know who's not allowed to visit north korea americans and it's not because north korea won't allow us but our own government will not allow us instead they're content to make sure anything we think we know about the region comes from one source primarily radio free asia a fake news source started by the cia with the expressed goal of being anti-communist propaganda any weird story you've heard about north korea like that everybody there has to get the same haircuts yeah that probably came from radio free asia mm -hmm. which to this day is funded entirely by the united states government so Babe, I cannot go to North Korea because the United States will not allow me because they do not want Americans to see the disconnect between the propaganda machine that they have created telling you things about North Korea and what actually happens in North Korea. The second example, Iran, is somehow even more perplexing for you to bring up because if you know anything, you know that the democratically elected prime minister of Iran was overthrown in a violent coup by the U.S. government. Why? because he was going to nationalize the oil fields in American business. So instead, we overthrew him and installed a right-wing dictatorship that was sympathetic to American interests. A puppet government, if you will, that so violated and infuriated the Iranian people that they overthrew our puppet government, dispelled all 
overcome and put in instead a reactionary government whose main goal was to oppose U.S. intervention in any capacity. Everything you don't like about Iran, babe, you don't like because the United States government did it. That's right. My country, the United States, destabilized all of Iran for decades. Dismantling their democracy because their democratic voting process led to a result that was not favorable to us. Not exactly the most ethical course of action, if you ask me. And last, Afghanistan. I can only assume you must be extremely young to include Afghanistan on this list because if you have been alive for nearly as long as I have, I am 37 years old, the United States efforts in your lifetime to destabilize Afghanistan. The CIA was so heavily involved in Afghanistan, funding mm. and training covert terrorist organizations there to fight against communism in the region, that we actually kind of created a big problem for ourselves. What was it? Say it with me. The Taliban and Osama bin Laden. Yes, all of that came from CIA funding in Afghanistan. Then our government proceeded to bomb the shit out of Afghanistan in the wars that followed 9-11. We didn't like what we had created, I guess. Displacing nearly 6 million people in Afghanistan. So everything you don't like about Afghanistan right now, yeah, that's directly the result also of the United States. This is what I mean when I say, if you want to know what uh, opinion you should take about foreign policy as an American to be on the right side of history, USA bad is the opinion that will get you to the right place 99% of the Moral of the story, we not welcome over there. And when it comes to this video, Madeline turned him every which way but loose. Let's see. I made a video Madeline Pendleton. Somebody asked me what I thought the top five most surprising things were that the CIA has done, and I made a video saying it, and then the audio suspiciously was removed from my video. Hmm. So in honor of that happening, we are going to do a deep dive on one of the five things I cited, which is the thing called Operation Northwoods. They can't remove the audio again, right? They can't do it on this video, too. It would be too suspicious. Play the game smart, CIA guys. So if you've never heard of Operation Northwoods, this was a series of false flag events that the CIA conceptualized to justify going to war with Cuba in the 1950s and 60s. And if that sounds like a lot of mumbo jumbo to you, let me break it down in words that are easier to understand. This is the time the CIA planned bombing our own country and our own civilians and blaming it on Cuba so that we could later turn around and pretend to be the victims and tell the American people, oh my god, it's so terrible that Cuba bombed you. We should probably invade them and go to war with them, right? And if that is not one of the most mind-blowing things that our government has just admitted they seriously consider doing, I don't know what is. I don't know what is. But we have declassified documents from the CIA where they discuss how exactly they would plan and execute this vision. And the way they talk about it makes it sound like it's a series of steps they have uh, done before. Doesn't seem new to them. Doesn't seem new we're talking to them. They're just like, oh yeah, we could do all this shit. Remember how we do this shit? Ah! So, the reason why this is one of those shocking things to me is because of the implications it has for our foreign policy in fucking general. Like, if this was something that was casually being floated to manufacture consent for the United States to go to war with Cuba, how can we trust anything the government has told us other countries have done to us? And this is where you start to feel really like X-Files, like tinfoil hat conspiracy theory, because you're like, God, am I being lied to about everything? And I'm not here to tell you how much we are being lied to about. I can't answer that question with certainty. But what I can do is show you how to find all of the documents about Operation Northwoods on the CIA's own website. See, the thing you need to know about the CIA is that they are often at odds with a lot of different government agencies. And a lot of legislation has been passed in recent years, especially, that make it necessary for government agencies to disclose what they have been up to. Not just for the good of us, the American people, but also so they can keep tabs on each other. 
because very often the right hand does not know what the left hand is up to. You know what I mean? So the way classification works for documents is there's a set amount of time before documents in the government become declassified unless somebody within that agency petitions to keep them classified longer because they think it would be a threat to national security for these things to be released. Now, the CIA has access to their declassified documents on their own website. If you search CIA reading room, you'll see them. Boom, and then if you just click this main link here, it'll take you to a place where you can search. So the website looks like it was laid out in the fucking 90s, and everything is really, really hard to see, which I think is an element of uh, malicious compliance. They're like, yeah, we'll give you all your shit. Good luck finding it and using the website, though. Hee <laughs> hee. But I use the website anyway. So up here on the search bar, I searched Operation Northwoods, just because I know that's the name of the operation where they were talking about doing all these false flag information type campaigns, where it just had to do a lot with propaganda, but also paramilitary action. So this is going to speed up my searches, just because I know the name. And when I hit enter, pages kind of appear like this. There's only two pages when you search Operation Northwoods. I assume a lot of it is still classified. Um, however, when you search something more generic, you are likely to find hundreds of pages. So this really did help narrow down my search. Now, when you pick something to click on, oh. it's going to look like this. See, it's going to be a wall of text that's really hard to read. The thing you want to look at is this PDF link. We're not going to look at this one. This is just Freedom of Information Act case logs from April through June of 2019. Not super interesting. But I found one that has documents from the 1960s that looked a lot more interesting. So I found that and I clicked on the little PDF and it took me to, boom, scanned pages from this PDF. Now, you can see at the very top, it says CIA has no objection to declassification and or release of CIA information in this document. And I would assume that's because everything they proposed to doing here, they actually did not go through with. So if they had gone through with this, there would be grounds to, yes, probably keep it still classified. But just reading about the things that they floated so casually that they didn't go through with is enough to shake me right to the bone and maybe you. So when they talk about the contents of what's in here, it's broken down into seven categories. The ones that I think are the most interesting are psychological warfare against Cuba. This is what we would call a PSYOP. And also, summaries of clandestine paramilitary actions taken against Cuba and suggestions for possible future actions. So that's where they're Madeline like, hey, Pendleton. Madeline Pendleton. The stuff we've uh, secretly been up to in Cuba, and here's what we think we could also secretly be doing in the future. And that stuff, that stuff is what we're going to get into. Now, as we click through this 200-page document, you can see stuff like this. It would be desirable to use legitimate provocation as the basis for U.S. military intervention in Cuba. And that is actually a pretty wild sentence. They're like, we need some sort of provocation. We need to make it look like we were the victims of an attack, we were provoked, and we have no choice but to invade Cuba. So Cuba, though, isn't fucking with the United States at this time. So they're like, how do we invent this? Because it's not happening organically. And they come up with a multi-part plan. The first is to put Americans in Cuba and make them pretend to be angry Cubans who are just, like, uprising against the government. But the second is where they talk about faking attacks, right, and blaming it on Cuba. So here we get into some of their plans, and they're like, well, when it comes to, like, faking uprisings in Cuba, we could start rumors. <laughs> Parentheses, many. I don't know why that is so funny to me. Start riots near the base main gate. Land people in Cuba to stage an attack. And from there, they get into the military action. They're like, hey, remember the main incident could be arranged in several forms. We could blow up a U.S. ship in Guantanamo Bay and blame Cuba. Literally, this is the U.S. government talking about blowing up its own military ships. We could blow up a drone, unmanned vessel, anywhere in the Cuban waters. Casualty lists in U.S. newspapers would cause a helpful wave of national indignation. They're literally talking about inventing fake dead people to make Americans feel so upset that we want to go to war with Cuba. Now, here they say we could develop a communist Cuban terror campaign in the Miami area, in other Florida cities, and even in Washington. What does that mean? That means running a terror campaign, the CIA operating as terrorists to plant bombs and blow things up in Miami, Florida, other cities in Florida, and Washington, D.C., then saying Cuba did it. 
we could sink a boatload of Cubans en route to Florida. Real or simulated, either way. We could foster attempts on lives of Cuban refugees in the United States, even to the extent of wounding in instances to be widely publicized. They're like, we could just blow up the immigrants a little bit or a lot, whatever everybody's comfortable with, and just do a huge media push after that's happened. Uh, we could explode a few plastic bombs in carefully chosen spots in Miami, Florida, and Washington, D.C. We could bomb Miami, Florida, and Washington, D.C. and blame it on Cuba. Like, at this point, if you're not losing your mind reading this, I'm just like, what? We could create an incident which will demonstrate convincingly that a Cuban aircraft has attacked and shot down a chartered civil airliner leaving the United States. They were literally like, we could make a fake plane get shot down by fake Cuban military. So when they're talking about all this, they conclude engineered provocation, which means just lying and making shit up so we have a reason to invade Cuba, would provide greater advantage in control, timing, simplicity, and security than trying to foment of revolt. So they're like, yeah, we could do the thing where we try to make it look like a bunch of Cubans are rising up, but honestly, it's just easier to blow around shit up and blame them. Way more control. <laughs> In this document, they even go so far as to fake rescuing crews. They're like, yeah, we could, like, make it look like they blew up one of our, like, military ships, maybe, and then we could stage a fake rescue for a fake crew that was never even on the ship. And the implications for reading this, again, for what this means that the USA potentially has actually done, because this one did not happen, but what they have actually done similarly in other countries, is why Operation Northwoods is one of the most shocking things that I have read on the CIA's website. If this is something they seriously floated doing but did not do, what have they actually done? It is by far one of the most destabilizing, psychologically speaking, things that I have found on the CIA's website. And it terrifies me to the core to think that this is what government agencies might be doing with my tax dollars. Somebody asked me what I thought the top five most surprising things were that the CIA... Okay, here are all my tips for how to dress still like yourself when you're feeling really lazy. Number one, sleep in your jewelry. Remove the stabby bits, obviously. Uh, I sleep in my jewelry because I'm too lazy to take it on and off every single day. And you know what? If I wake up feeling like Garbaggio, I at least got my jewelry on, so I'm looking kind of cool. Okay, number two, my best friend's a makeup artist. And she crucified me for this. She roasts me all the time. I sleep in my eyeliner, too. Fuck it. In the morning, sometimes I'm like, I'm too lazy to put on a whole face of makeup, but if my eyeliner is half there, you know what I will do? Is I'll try to uh, around where it got all smeary with uh, my finger in some water, and I'll just reapply a little more. Guess what? I got eyeliner on. Fork knows. She sees me sleep in smeared eyeliner every single night. Mm. Yeah, that's true. I do that. You know that. Okay, number three. Uh, invest in comfy clothing that you actually like. Like, if you reserve your cute clothes that you like for just being, like, the tiny, tight, and difficult-to-wear things, you're not going to feel really good when you're in grungy slob mode. So get some grungy slob mode clothes that you think are cool. Like, get some really fucking cool sweatpants. They have, like, cool screen printing on them or some shit. Get a giant, cozy hoodie that you are obsessed with. Get comfy tennis shoes that you love. You know what I mean? This shit, like, sounds common sense, but I feel like sometimes we're not excited to buy comfy clothes, so we just have, like, our weird grandmother's old hand-me-downs that don't fit us right from, like, 12 years ago that we somehow ended up with after a family holiday. Which, don't get me wrong, that sounds cool, but sometimes grandma's style's not our style, you know? Okay, next, invest in a low-maintenance haircut. That's why I do the bangs. That's the only reason I do the bangs. So if I ever don't want to do my hair, at least I got the bangs and something's going on. And last, put stickers on all your little things. You know what I'm talking about. You bring a water bottle with you everywhere, cover that shit in stickers. Look at that. Adds a little bit of personality. So even if you're like, ugh, you're like, my water bottle's fucking cool. I, you know, it's stupid. It's stupid, but this little shit, it actually does bring you joy, you know? Okay, I have a really exciting announcement. I have my book tour dates. <laughs> I might be coming to a city near you. I think that's cool. I could meet you guys. I know I meet a lot of you guys already. Like, when I'm just, like, out.
people come up to me a lot, and it is always so cool. Uh, mostly because the way it happens is I see somebody in public, and I'm like, oh, that person looks like really cool. And then they're like, oh, my God, Madeline. And I'm like, you know me. So super excited uh, to meet more of you because... Okay, I've told this story before, but I love it so much. I'm going to tell it again for maybe the third time on this godforsaken app. One time I met a guy who was like, yeah, my whole life, my whole life, I was so fiscally responsible. I did everything right. My credit score was in the 800s. I was just paying every bill on time. I never fucked up. And then one day, I met a pretty girl. She was like a really pretty girl. But I heard that she only dated rich guys. So I called every single credit card company, and I asked them if they would extend my credit limit on my card. And of course they all did, right? Because I've been such a loyal customer for so many years and I've never missed a payment. And then I took out a bunch more credit cards until I had like over $100,000 of credit available to me. And I told her, look, you like money? I got money. And I bought her gifts and I took her to expensive dinners. And eventually she started paying attention to me. So then I said, you know what we should do? We should travel the world together. Let's go everywhere let's travel all around the world like in a circle until we end up back here and she said okay and we did it we did it all on my credit cards we traveled from place to place all around the globe for like a year and then by the time the year was over we ended up back in the united states i realized i had messed out every single credit card and nobody would give me more credit because now my credit score had tanked because I wasn't able to pay the monthly minimums on them anymore. And I told her, that's it. Maybe I'm out of money. Uh, and sh she left. She left me, obviously. And all of my friends were like, look what you did, you fool. <laughs> you have ruined your life over a pretty girl. And I thought, man, they're right. You're right. So I got a job in construction, uh, making cash, taking cash payments. And I just lived my little quiet life, you know paying for everything as much as I could in cash, thinking I'll never pull myself out of this. And uh, the creditors would call, and I just sent them a voicemail because it was too stressful to think about. I never talked to a creditor once. And next thing I knew, seven or eight years later, uh, I was like, okay, maybe I'll start looking at how to fix this mess. And I downloaded a credit monitoring app, and I looked, and my credit score was like 720. And I was like, that can't be right. And then I looked at all of the debt that I had taken off that year, to, to treat this girl right, it was all gone. It wasn't even showing up anymore. And all the money I thought I owed, it, it wasn't showing up anymore. So I called my bank, and I asked if they would give me a credit card. And they said yes. I was approved for a credit card. And it's like it never even happened. And I told my brother, and he was so inspired, he decided to do the same thing. He maxed out a bunch of credit cards with cash advances, took a hundred grand in a suitcase with him, left the country, used it to start a nightclub somewhere else. And he's just like, yeah, I'll just never go back to the United States. And life is good for him. This wasn't even a friend. This was an acquaintance. I didn't even know this guy as well. And he told me the story and I was just like, <laughs> yes, slow clap. Yes. Living the dream of family, <laughs> of innovators, thinkers. <laughs> And dare I say doers. Yes. Mm-hmm. Inspiring. <laughs> so inspiring. I'm not brave enough to do it, but it's good to know someone was. You know what I mean? It feels good. Okay, I've told this story <laughs> before, but I... Okay, this question is a few months old, so I hope by now you have found yourself in a good and stable and safe place. However, if you have not, or if other people are in a similar situation, here's my advice on what to do when you leave your parents' house. Okay, number one, right out of the gate, you need 
a consistent, steady source of income. If you feel you are unable to work, you should definitely apply for disability. Disability is not great, right? But there is a place you can apply. It's ssa.gov, or at least look at the qualifications, I believe, and see if you are eligible for disability benefits. Now, I can tell you right now, I know people who have been very disabled who did not qualify for disability. And I know people who have qualified for disability, but it is such little money every single month that they're like, this is fucking impossible to live on. I also know people who have been on disability and they're like, yeah, it's hardly any money, but you know what? I'm just going to live super frugally. I'm going to make it work for me. And it is what it is and I'm surviving. So applying for disability could go either way in your life, but if you think there is a chance you will get it, you should just apply. If disability does not work for you though, yes, you will need to work a job to get a source of income. Nobody likes working a job. We all hate it. Statistically, most of us hate it. But nothing will change the fact that in order to live, you need income. Living costs money. So it is officially time to start the journey into figuring out what the best type of work for you is. Now, as a person who has been diagnosed with ADHD and has been peer assessed as autistic on a number of occasions, I know that applying for jobs is hard and interviewing for jobs is hard. Oh my God, even if they call you for an interview, you get in the interview stage and it is very, very difficult to understand what you're supposed to do. I found in my life, I am either intensely likable or intensely dislikable, depending on who you are, which sure does make parties interesting. But sometimes, yes, can make it very fucking hard to get a job. I have friends who are autistic who go into interviews and just totally blow it because they're like, I don't even understand what I was supposed to do in that situation. I also have friends who are autistic or neurodivergent in other ways who get jobs, right? And then once they're there, they just consistently fucking get fired. And they're like, I don't know why I keep getting fired. I don't think I'm doing anything different than anybody else, but apparently I am. So what we're looking at when it comes to employment is two things. One, getting a job. And two, keeping a job. Now, if you are having a hard time getting a job through conventional ways, I highly, highly recommend going to a staffing agency. You can Google staffing agency, right, and ones will pop up that are near you. This is a company whose whole job is to take people who want a job, right, and companies who are looking to hire and match them together. Now, sometimes these jobs won't be permanent. They will be temp jobs. That's why sometimes these... Okay, let's talk about bankruptcy. I'm not a professional. I can't tell you if you should file for bankruptcy or not, but I can tell you that I've known a lot of broke people and two people very, very close to me in my life have yet filed for bankruptcy. So here's everything you need to know going into thinking about bankruptcy. The first thing you need to know is that there are a lot of different types of bankruptcy. For example, chapter 11 is the type of business bankruptcy. The ones we commonly hear people talk about for individuals, just personal people, right? Like you in your life living in the world are usually chapter seven or chapter 13. And this is important because these different chapters mean different things, which leads us to the second thing you need to be aware of, which is that bankruptcy might not even clear all of your debt. It depends on which form of bankruptcy you file. It also depends on what type of debt you have. And even more than that, it sometimes just depends on how a judge rules. If you have things like student loans or car loans, these are going to be significantly harder types of debt to discharge even through a bankruptcy. If a car loan, for example, is your primary source of financial stress at the moment, it might make more sense for you to sell the car or take the financial loss than consider bankruptcy at all. For example, let's say you owe $10,000 on a car, but the car went down in value super hardcore since you got it, and it's only worth $5,000 if you were to sell it. That's usually called being upside down, right, on the loan. The car is worth less than how much you owe. Even though it feels like a major loss, the smart solution might be to sell the car, take the $5,000 you get for it, throw it at the loan, and then you only owe $5,000 on a loan. Which doesn't sound great, right? But it's 50% better than owing $10,000 on a loan. And maybe you just get really acquainted with your bicycle and public bus system, depending on where you live. 
if student loans, for example, are your primary source of stress, it might make more sense for you to just call up the people you owe money to and get an economic hardship deferral. I have done many of these in the past. Yes. They still accrue interest, but it will ease your short-term suffering. Now, if on the other hand, the type of debt that is stressing you out and keeping you up at night is something more consumer debt-oriented, as we like to call it, things like credit cards or personal loans, those might be things that, yes, are going to be easier to clear by filing bankruptcy. And you should not feel bad about doing that. Banks take calculated risks every time they loan somebody money or give somebody a credit card. And if it turns out you can't pay it back, well, doesn't mean you fucked up. That means someone at the bank fucked up. And they knew when they issued you the credit card or the loan, there was a chance you might not be able to pay it back. So that's on them, not on you. Don't feel bad about it. Bankruptcy is, though, a really fucking annoying, time-consuming process. One of my friends filed bankruptcy in her 20s because as a teenager, she was issued a fuck ton of credit cards that she didn't really understand, and she maxed them all out, yes, on Forever 21 clothing. Which, as an adult, she's like, oh my fucking god. But that is why the bank was not fiscally responsible to give a teenager a credit card. <laughs> it's their fuck up, not hers. A teenage girl wouldn't take a credit card to the mall and buy a bunch of fucking Forever 21 clothes with it. Come on. The things that got harder in her life were things like renting an apartment. It's harder to rent an apartment when you have a bankruptcy on record. But it wasn't impossible. She still, yes, was able to do things like drive a car and rent an apartment. It just was a little more complicated. Sometimes she needed a co-signer on the apartment or to give a bigger deposit. Annoying, right? Annoying. If I had to guess, a lot less annoying than staying up all night, shaking back and forth in your bed and sobbing and crying because you're so fucking stressed out about owing credit card companies money. I've been there. It's not a good life. I think for her, filing bankruptcy did improve the quality of her life. The second person I know who filed bankruptcy, though, it was not enough to save them from the stress of the financial hardship. And immediately after filing bankruptcy and finishing up all the legal paperwork in the process, they took their own life. And I cannot speak to exactly why or what was going on. I know it was financially motivated. I'm not sure if the bankruptcy process made it harder or easier for them to get through their financial struggles. I will never know. People do say, though, that bankruptcy is one of the most stressful things you can do in your life. A third person I know who did not file for bankruptcy but did have a lot of debt changed their phone number and didn't answer their phone for seven years. And when they checked their credit score seven years later, all of the debt was no longer showing up. And they finally had a good credit score for the first time in their life. No bankruptcy filed. No bankruptcy needed. Just going into low life, I don't exist mode for seven years. So at the end of the day, you got options, but only you know which the best one is for you. Good luck. Hi, hello. No, uh, I'm not the person who ever told you houses were affordable. Unequivocally, housing is more expensive now than it, like, ever has been before in U.S. history. For reference, I'm 37 years old. I was born in 1986. Here is a graph showing uh, 1985 to 2018, not even current, five years ago, right, uh, pre-COVID, 